Welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. Mainstream, art house, vintage and documentaries. We bring news and reviews of big screen productions to your earbuds. We seek films. Now relax and enjoy the show. Show. Hello and welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. On today's show, we have been away a long time, so we'll be unpacking our little escapades at London Film Festival, filling you in with all the latest news as per usual, and giving you some fine film recommendations to add to your film watch list. This is the Film Seekers Podcast. Hold on tight. Too clever, too clever for Hello. My name is Neil Ramji, and as per usual, I shall be your host on the Film Seekers podcast. Opposite me is Michael Ross. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Happy to be back again. I'm happy to have you back again. We, we once again let you back into the studio to be part of the Film Seekers. <laughs> to the shock of everyone. We're four episodes in. Uh, we do have to apologise. We have been away for a wee while. Life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, scheduling with the two of us working different hours and trying to sort of find the time has been a bit tricky. But we are here and we are raring to go inconsistent as always uh, we've got lots and lots to talk about today mike uh, we'll be talking about obviously the news in a bit uh, we've got a few film festivals that are a little bit off the radar that we would like to talk about as well and maybe incorporate some of the stuff that we'd seen at this um, uh, london film festival going back and we've got the uk top 10 as per usual but we're bang up to date today but depends when you listen to it i suppose it could be 10 weeks out of date by the time you listen to the podcast. And then, of course, uh, we will be unpacking in as much detail as we can within our time constraints to go over the London Film Festival. Uh, which is there's an awful lot to talk about mike isn't there yeah obviously i was there for a day and managed to get four films in uh, and yourself you were there for almost a week so a lot more films than that <laughs> yeah a, a lot of films my eyes were square or, or should i say um, academy ratio uh, yeah <laughs> by the time i finished uh, watching all those films uh, but yeah you know welcome to the podcast uh, so we'll crack on straight away with our film news so the main thing to talk about, the elephant in the room, is Harvey Weinstein. I'm not likening Harvey Weinstein to an elephant because elephants are far more intelligent and supremely better. Beautiful, majestic creatures, yes. yeah, which you definitely cannot apply to Harvey Weinstein. But perhaps in size, we can, we can maybe <laughs> apply that to him, looking a bit grey and uh, dishevelled at the moment. And deservedly so from all these um, allegations that are floating around at the moment it's quite a delicate subject matter to talk about so we're gonna kind of skirt around it a little bit as best as possible but mike what are your initial thoughts and you know as harvey weinstein as a bastion of filmmaking in terms of his influence from behind the scenes with the Weinstein Company, obviously, he is notorious for cutting films down. You were t- telling me earlier about a film by... Uh, Bong Joon-ho, Snowpiercer, so his English-language debut, um, has never got a DVD release over here, did not get a cinema release and, in and the that, UK. That was largely down to Harvey's influence, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. The sort of thought that it wasn't commercially viable or that there wasn't an audience for it even after he had done his rather butchering cuts to it, um, meant that we we have never sort of gotten an official version of it over here, which is a real shame, I think. And, you know, not only has his influence been felt in, in, in terms of 
the commercial side of things, so consumers not being able to see certain films, but from a hum- human point of view, he appears to be a deplorable human being, and it seems to be that that has uh, been a, an industry-wide known secret for quite some time. And it just, you know, begs the question, why has no one brought this up before? And why has no one been bold enough to say, I don't care about the industry anymore, let me tell you my story? I mean, a lot of them have been hushed up. Uh, these these people who are have been survivors of Harvey's influence. I, I, I don't want to use the, the V word in this case. Yeah. Uh, but people who have survived his alleged advances they've been some of them have been paid off with non-disclosure well yeah there agreement. seems to be quite a sort of culture of of not allowing people to talk about this thing so uh employees having to sign non-disclosure agreements and and then things being settled out of court also involving ndas and things like that and so it's a it's another part of it that that feeds into silencing it's about keeping it quiet but isn't that the the sort of isn't that the actions of 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 an abuser to silence the the, the survivor the, the the you know the the person who is, is having these awful things held against them is it, entirely it is 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 the act of a predator you yeah. know that that is sort of that a, is their a, modus operandi it's it's horrible but but that's what they do is it's it's keeping that quiet it's reinforcing or enforcing shame, shame on those who survive it so that they feel like they've done something wrong when obviously they are not in the wrong here. No. It's it's like you say, it's it's a difficult issue to talk about as as a man. It, it's not something I've experienced personally. Um, and that was one of the things that I found most crushing about it was going online and seeing all these accounts from women of just how shamefully every day and 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 how common these sort of things are um, that really sort of hit me in in the gut sort of thing of just everyone knows some women in their life. You can't not. And chances are those women have fo- have suffered some form of sexual harassment. I, I would think, you know, I mean, we, we have people very close to us, obviously, our mothers, um, but other people that are very close to us that are women. Yeah, we, we've all seen elements, as you say, in our day-to-day lives. And looking in, and let's contextualise this in terms of film, because we could go off on a, a moral stance on this completely. And the, the, the moral stance on this, it's wrong and it should be stopped. I think that, that's the only moral stance you should take on this yeah uh, that i support the women who have come forward <laughs> and and will continue to support any other women that come forward over similar issues that's you know all, all that we can do really is ensure we don't do anything like this mm-hmm. call it out when we see it and support those who have suffered it yeah uh, yeah i think all of those are vitally important um and certainly the calling it out should they wish us to bring that to the attention of whoever that yeah. may be or, or like you say if if you see it in a bar or you see it on the street is to it, it's often quite intimidating for a, a woman to sort of to to talk about or to to try and stop and mm. so you have to make yourself an ally and and just try and sort of if if you have friends that engage in this behaviour, tell them it's not okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's little things like that that can make quite a big difference. And I, I think this is a perhaps harks back to when this person that we're talking about uh, was in, in in their heyday in in the eighties and, and and in the nineties to an extent where this kind of behaviour was permissible. I, I I really you know hesitated to yeah. use that word there, but society would turn for the majority of society would turn a blind eye to it. oh it's a bit of this it's a bit of that 
whereas I think we are much more enlightened um, in that certainly in the last 17 years. And once again, I'm talking as a man here. I don't, you know, I don't suffer these things. I'm sure women have suffered these throughout the ages yeah. since whenever they dot. In terms of the mindset of society, very much everyone is now, I think well, I can speak for everyone. Well, that, well not everyone, um, sadly, okay. but but the majority, majority of, certainly, yeah. Um, that the, these things are beyond the pale now and they should be called out and stopped completely unacceptable yeah and i i think he uh, this person has referred to himself as a a dinosaur trying to adapt with the modern age and i think that's a really poor excuse yeah i would agree it's it's just a kind of blame shifting Mm. it's oh it's not my fault it's the culture i grew up in Mm. or the time i grew up in when he's he's still not accepting personal responsibility for his actions and that's a definite part of the problem yeah Definitely. Um, let's talk about the ramifications and, and things that have happened. So there, there have been several um, actresses that have come out and, and made allegations. Uh, and I don't think it's fair that we rattle off any of the detail at all um, or even the names, actually. Um, but there, there have been several. Um, yeah, at, at least those who have, have done so publicly, if you, if you want to know their stories, they're, they're, out. they're out there for you now. Yeah, and I don't want to become part of this narrative where there are certain news outlets that are purely using it for commercial reasons yeah Uh, getting clicks yeah yeah we're we're not doing that here um but if you want to look at that that's fine let's talk about the the, going back to the film aspects of it so in the wake of this this person has in the news today it's been said that he could lose his cbe which is a high honor in the uk uh bestowed upon you by the queen yeah um, for services to film industry and particularly the British film industry. So this, uh, the CBE is the commander of the British Order of the British Empire. It's it's one of the it's I think the sort of highest honour you can get as a non UK resident. Yeah, as a as a non UK resident and citizen of the world, shall yeah. we say? Yeah, and so he could lose his CBE according to um, the forfeiture committee today uh, he's already been suspended by the BAFTA yeah um, and uh, there's talk of him being stripped of his BFI fellowship as well I believe that's already happened okay yeah. uh, you you could be right I'm I'm without internet at oh, the yeah. moment so <laughs> I'm I'm struggling to keep up with all sure. the news that's going on <laughs> no, of course I forgot Mike um and uh so yeah BFI membership has already gone uh I think BAFTA have suspended impending further investigations and there's talk of him of losing his academy awards membership status uh, over in the states all of them um deservedly so uh, it, it yeah, has to be said absolutely i i, I think in in this case just the, the the strength of evidence mount mounting and the fact that fellow actors and directors who have had a very close bond with this particular person have turned a blind eye to it i think quentin tarantino said he knew he was quite a reprehensible person i'm paraphrasing here and did little about it uh, uh, yeah it's it's one way it, it doesn't excuse the actions but i have to say i do admire his honesty in this regard because there's been quite a few people who have had not as close a relationship say as those two but that have had a close relationship with the man and have come out and said oh i knew nothing about it yet from others we're hearing that it's an open secret within the industry and so i think it's admirable of quentin to come out and say all right, yes, I, I, I did know and I should have done something better. I should have done more. And, and and to at least own, accept responsibility for that lack of action, where I think there are others who are avoiding that. 
Yeah, I, I, I do think there are others who are avoiding that. And whether or not Quentin should have done something sooner and what kind of person that makes him is perhaps another thing. But yes, at least he's admitting it now. But th- then it begs the question, would he have admitted it at all had any of this started in the first place? Well, it's it's one of the sort of the, the shames of, of this whole um, disgraceful affair that it, apparently it was known by the, the board of the company that he founded and worked for. Mm. They, they knew some of this and yet it's only it coming to light, coming to public attention that you're starting to see any ramifications or results from it it was it was similar with the screen junkies um, affair where it's only it being known by the public that is motivating these companies to do anything about it whereas you know if 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 you're in a hr department and you hear something like this you should be doing something about it immediately because as a hr department or as the company of a board your job is to ensure that this company is doing what it should for its employees. And that goes from the top down to the the, the lowest paid member of staff or the, the interns or, or anyone like that. They have a, a duty of care to everyone that works for them. And it shouldn't take public opinion mm-hmm. to, to sway them to do something about it. Sadly, it seems like that has been the case, but that shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be the case at all. If there's anything positive to take out of it, it's the fact that this is becoming common in, in, into the common parlance. We are talking about it more. People who uh, perhaps hadn't changed their views on things are perhaps being shown these awful allegations. And uh, the fact that it's a celebrity might mean more to them than, you, yeah. know, you know, people can relate to celebrity in this very weird way that we all do. And it might have more power to influence their views. It's, it's a thing that I'm glad is front and center of the news yeah. at the moment it's it's a thing that we talk about representation we talk about representation of race gender identity and uh, gender representation in the film industry it's been spoken about for quite some time now yeah. you know where female di- women directors see and there we go and that's the thing that i've had to change is the fact that i've had to change my vocabulary and understand why i've had to change my vocabulary you know i need to refer to the opposite sex as women directors you don't we don't have men directors we we talk about directors and that's awfully sexist and it's all a learning process but i mean i've learned a lot about myself i'm still learning i still make mistakes and mike same it's it's something that sort of it it's something i feel quite passionately about is as as much as there are certain things that are inexcusable Mm. with things like the lgbt community uh trying to keep up with the correct terminology and, and nomenclature can be tricky so people should be allowed to to get it wrong as long as they are looking to correct it when it's pointed out to them it it it's not an ex, uh, excuse or a blanket statement to be like oh well i don't know the correct word so i can just sure, say what i want it's not a get out of jail free no card. you you should be trying to improve in that but for a lot of people it, it can be something that's slightly tricky to grasp with and so as long as you're acknowledging that you're learning and you're trying to be better about it, I, mm. I think that's something that needs to be not admired or but encouraged, certainly. I, I I fully agree. And, you know, as we've both said, we're, we're both guilty to an extent, but we're constantly learning. Uh, there's no malice in, intended with what we say or do. 
Well, not in this regard. Not in at least, this if regard, we're yeah. talking about a film we hate, there may well yeah, be some malice. Absolutely. But yeah. and yeah, it's one where personally, I I want to know if I make a mistake on mm. something like this. So if say you listen to this podcast and you don't like the way I've put something, please let me know so that I can work on it, I can improve it, I can make it better so that next time I'm not saying the thing that you didn't like and I'm. I'm couching it in a phrase that is is inoffensive to the majority or that is not going to work because obviously it's one where with any race gender issue it's still subjective you know what may offend one person won't necessarily affect another or offend another but you should be trying to offend as little people as possible you know that that should surely be everyone's goal is to to please as many as you can and and to make as many as you can feel included and represented the other positive thing that's come out of this, it's actually highlighted a few other pigs in the industry as well. And we talk about some allegations that have been thrown out at other men. Uh, you spoke about the screen junkies a minute ago, and some yeah. of these men have put out statements categorically denying the the harshest allegations against them, but then not saying anything about the rest of it. And perhaps there's an admission of guilt uh, through their silence. But I'm, I'm glad it's all coming out now. Uh, recently, this week, we've had James Toback, who was a uh, director. He did the screenplay to Bugsy as well. And he's well known in the industry, apparently, for this sort of lewd behaviour. The head of Amazon Studios, Roy Price as well, he ha- he's quite a big figurehead once again behind the scenes in commissioning this, greenlighting that. And he's been called out on his dinosaur behaviour. It's not dinosaur behaviour, it's just... Re- unacceptable unacceptable behaviour, it's disgraceful, horrible behaviour, yeah. yeah. And uh, on, on the back of all the allegations against him, once again he's managed to duck his head out and get out the game i think these people need to be made an example of yeah it, it's a good indication say to others that this sort of behavior is not acceptable and you know it will have real world ramifications that i mean it shouldn't take that to stop someone from doing this kind of thing mm. but if it does that's a good thing it is a good thing and and i guess where we're stripping away people's titles the cbes are gone the fellowship from the bfi is gone and we're completely taking away all their life's work everything they've worked really hard for and got through whatever horrible means and and methods that they use to control people particularly women in this case i'm glad that the house of cards is just tumbling to the ground um it, and th- their their legacy and their their work will be tarnished there are plenty of other people still out there in the industry. So a couple of famous people like talk about Woody Allen. He's yeah. had some contentious issues in the past, yet he's still accepted. Yeah. It, it's quite often un, unspoken or ignored, ignored. Um, uh, uh, possibly because of the, the, the value people attribute to his work, which I'm not saying is right at all. It, no. it shouldn't be the case. You know, just because you're a great artist, it doesn't excuse your personal behaviour in any shape or form. No, and same goes for Roman Polanski as well, who has a very, very open sort of... Alleg- yeah, this, not even an allegation, you know, you know yeah, he, was, the, he ran away. Yeah, um, he, he fled sort of yeah, he, justice for it, yeah. essentially. And he's still making films. And there are Hollywood mainstream actors that are still... You know, why aren't we... Why is Ewan McGregor making films with Roman Polanski? He's, he's surely condoning that sort of behavior and what he did by aligning himself with him. And, you know, m- numerous other people who have done films with Polanski since Jodie Foster in Carnage and Christoph Waltz, of course. And it just, once again, begs the question is why are these actors, are they putting aside the fact that these directors have done reprehensible things or alleged to have had reprehensible things against them? And yet these 
actors who we hold in high esteem are still aligning themselves with these directors. It's just real, there's a moral stance there and it's all yeah. about separating the artist and the art, but then where do you draw the line and what's accept, what, how much is acceptable and what isn't acceptable? In my mind, the things that these, have, these two have been accused of that we've just talked about, it goes beyond... And I find it very, I find it, I, I struggle myself because I can see that there is talent there. I can see there's artistry there. I particularly love a couple of the films from either of them, but it's it's really, really tough, but it shouldn't be acceptable. It no, like, be. like you say, there is, there is an element of separating art and artist, but there is a definite line to that. For example... Hitler was an artist. <laughs> you know, it seems like a it's the easy go to sort of use Hitler for an example, yeah, but yeah. he he was an artist. He sure. had paintings and mm. there are some who prize those paintings and treasure them, but for me, you can't do that because you can't separate that no, artist not- from the man and the terrible horrific things that he did and I I think the same should be true for these directors. I agree, and it's like Nazi gold, isn't it? As well, you know, what's the value of it? Nothing, because it, where it came from. Exactly. I guess we could talk about this all night. I, it's quite a bit of a downer to start on, but that's why we did it to get it off there, because it's it's so important to get out in the world. If we got anything wrong in in that particular segment, or if we are continually doing or saying something wrong, and please call us out on it. We are, after all, not in a position. We're two two men. Yeah, we are two men. Uh, we we're not i'm not trying to speak for women no we're not we're not we're, we're qualified to speak to it from our personal viewpoint or experience or opinion but i'm not qualified to speak on it from from that side you yeah, know where i haven't experienced it, yeah. it or, or yeah we can't speak for women no, so no so if we've got something wrong please just hit us up an email hello at filmseekers.com or send us a tweet at filmseekers on twitter uh, and let us know what we got wrong because we just want to be better yeah i'm, I'm always trying to improve so please improve. help us to do so Thank you very much. Let's go on to something a little bit brighter. So other news that's out this week, uh, the Biffers, the British Independent Film Awards, and they're they're going strong, actually. They're becoming more and more prominent each year uh, that I see them, and they're having a wealth of talent at the forefront of their awards. They're not quite up there with the BAFTAs and nowhere near the Oscars, but some of the most interesting titles come up in their lineup. Uh, the stuff that's been submitted this year, Mike, we had a quick look earlier on and just the, the talent that's there. And we, we had, a, had a quick scan through some of the titles. Uh, was there anything that sort of stood out to you at all, Mike? I, I mean, uh, God's Own Country. I know we've we've spoken about mm. on the on the podcast previously, uh, but writer, director Francis Lee's debut feature. Um, it's it's amazing. It's one of my films of the year. Okay, um, I, I, I look. I'm looking through the list, and I, I've fortunately seen a fair few of them, including um, City of Tiny Light, a, a great little British movie um, with Riz Ahmed in the lead role. Billy Piper's in there as well. It's he plays a PI in London, and it's very different from what I've seen before. Especially the fact that it's it's based in contemporary London. It has a high budget feel to it, but it's very much set in gritty urban London. Um, it's nice to see someone of color in the lead role. His color isn't really made, or his culture isn't made that much of an issue at all, really. Which is something with representation that sort of it needs to be uh, more of a factor. It you know you shouldn't just have the the token sort of tokenistic characters it should be it's to represent the the life that we have around us that we live in a multicultural Mm. society and that shouldn't 
you know, their culture or their gender or their sexuality shouldn't, shouldn't be the defining aspect. No. It, it helps to define, certainly, yeah. but it shouldn't be the only thing. No, that's that's absolutely right. Talking of which, Daphne is a film that I'm really, really dying to watch at the moment, and that's a uh, independent uh, British film as part of the British Independent Film Awards, surprisingly. And it's got a lead character in it who isn't like any other representations of women that perhaps we've seen before. Very independent person, uh, does things on her own terms and is given the agency that perhaps we don't see in other films that women characters have. Yeah, they're often more judged as women are in, in real life. And, um, and that that's yeah not something that should no. be the case anymore exactly it's, it's half you know, more than half the population in the uk are women and it surprises me why this is still, still an issue it's, it's awful other films on there uh the morrissey biopic england is mine uh, these are all films by the way that have been submitted uh so they may not even get to the shortlist i believe we have the shortlist in front of us somewhere if we look for our notes yeah so we've got the shortlist here or long list shall i say of uh, debut directors i can see one name that we've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast and that's rungano neoni who is the director of i am not a witch i managed to see this last friday and i have to say i was incredibly impressed there is so much once again this is a very woman-centric film and we've talked about women a lot today and we will continue talking about women until we no longer need to talk about women on the podcast but it's 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 a film about a very young girl called Shayla and she is outcast to a witch camp because of something that she is accused of and the portrayal of this little girl is really representative of women within Zambia this is where the whole thing is set and I have to say the cinematography just the direction as a whole absolutely fantastic the storyline is on point it gets it it covers a lots of lots and lots of different bases so it's it's not only about um, gender identity it's it's about cultural identity whereby uh, superstition and witch doctory is is that a word witch doctory have i made uh, up a I'm word pl- it's it's plausible it's, it's a word now uh witch doctory is is rampant in african countries where they they still ha- have these very strongly held beliefs of of sacrifice and all this and you know my arm fell off because she looked at me in in a funny way and it's really interesting to see how urbanized and westernized Africa has become, especially in the, the larger cities. And yet these medievalist sort of ideas still prevail. There's a sequence where she's pushing shopping carts in a very modern uh, supermarket car park and someone just starts coming out with all this witchcraft stuff. And it's fantastically bizarre you just can't fathom how someone in 2017 can still hold these views wherever they are in the world you know they they have access to the internet they have access to news and the fact that they're so westernized and i i I hate using that term but perhaps and i hate using the word developed i'm not sure what the politically correct term is in terms in terms of this the fact that we're seeing we we could walk over the road right now mike and go to the local supermarket and see someone throwing stones at someone accusing them of witchcraft it just blows my mind it's completely. Mind-boggling, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have to say, Rangano Nioni, I am not a witch. It's on Amazon to to rent at the moment, as well as being in cinema. So it's a dual um, cinema and home video release. If you get an opportunity to watch uh, this film, p- 
please go and do it. It's her first film. And I think it's really, really important to, to, to go and visit that and support that talent. Uh, yeah, it's one that I will be renting once I have internet access again for, for definite. I, I, I would definitely do that, Mike. I'll make that your first film once you get internet access back. Um, a couple of other film uh, directors on the debut director, Andy Serkis. Now, it seems strange seeing Andy Serkis on a debut for anything sort of list. He's been around for quite a while, but obviously this is his first film. Breathe, which is the story of a tea company owner who that's played by Andrew Garfield. His wife is Claire Foy, and it's no spoiler. He contracts polio, and it's it's about their life together. And uh, this was deemed as a really important story that Andy Serkis wanted to tell. I believe he worked with the guy whose father it was. Uh, yeah, the uh, the son of the couple was a producer on the film, and then the wife uh, was also a consultant. And so they they were able to get quite a genuine and realistic insight into these people like these people's lives that on other films you might not have got. Yeah. And so my parents went to see it last week before its UK release, which I believe is this weekend coming. They thought it was fantastic. It really, really worked for them. I was less keen to go and watch it, but I may watch it based on their opinions, which I'll gauge when I see them next time. Um, other films on that list, uh, William Oldroyd's Lady Macbeth. Did you get around to watching this one in the end? No, I, I shamefully still haven't done. Okay, so Lady Macbeth, uh, William Oldroyd's debut film is brilliant and the fact that we have once again very strong woman character in the lead role doing things on her own terms and the fact that this is a debut film is just once again blows my mind and we'll keep using mind blowing as well because <laughs> I just love that go-to vocab and my parents once again went to go see this at a preview uh it's on amazon prime for anyone who uh subscribes to that you're able to go and watch it for free uh, on demand at the moment and i encourage you to do so it's a brilliant film and debut screenwriters are on there as well and we've got a few other things but we could we'll go on to those in a few weeks time i think so that is the biffa awards and they will be held on the 10th of december so maybe we'll give you a little bit of a rundown of all the proper nominees from the shortlist uh nearer the time the other thing, Mike, that we wanted to kind of talk about was the shifting business model of streaming services has come to light this week. And Netflix have mm, announced that they may be doing a hookup with Formula One. Now, Formula One is one of the biggest motorsports in the world, if not the biggest, I believe. I'm not sure how big it is in the States, actually, behind IndyCar racing and NASCAR and all the rest of it. But Within the rest of the world, huge. Liberty Media are looking to expand their presence across the world. And there has been talks this week that they may be showing Netflix, well, showing on Netflix from 2018 onwards, which is a first foray into sports that Netflix has taken, other than documentaries, of course. What are your thoughts on this, Mike? I mean... I mean, it, it's one that it doesn't necessarily interest me that much. I'm not the biggest sports fan, so I don't typically watch much sport, but... I am a fan of democratization of content. So being able to reach more people, for example. So I, I know plenty of younger people today who they don't watch television. They only stream. Um, and so if, if it's getting to people that it might not otherwise be getting to, that's only a good thing. You know, it's 
people finding the content that works for them is is one of the great things i think about the internet that you have access to a lot more stuff than you would have in the past i largely agree with that for me i may just take a little bit of umbrage of the fact that i'm paying money for a subscription service for films primarily and now all of a sudden they're showing sports sports aren't cheap to show we know that from premier league football which in the uk or soccer as it's known in the States, football. <laughs> as it's the one known. that's played with the feet. feet yes. Uh, is incredibly expensive uh, in terms of rights. Millions and millions of pounds are paid to players uh, because of it as well. And I would probably just go, well, why am I not subscribing to a television service? I specifically subscribed to Netflix because they can provide me bespoke television and film content, which I'm quite happy about. That's I'm quite happy to watch that, but I don't really want to be subscribing to something that I'm not going to be really watching. It would depend on how they do it, I think, with that, whether it's a a supplementary Mm. package that you can have if you want or you don't. I mean, yeah, if if it is just a, a blanket price increase. Yeah. I think I would be in the same boat as you of that's not something I'm there for. Yeah. And so I don't want to pay for it. Sure. But it's not an unknown quantity. Amazon Prime, which a lot of people naturally subscribe to anyway, because they pay that whatever it is annually. And that entitles a free next delivery. Day delivery. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amazon Prime, which you didn't know until today, Mike, until I pointed out, you can add on additional channels, much like a satellite subscription to your Amazon Prime. And we were having a quick flick through what you can add on to your Amazon Prime membership and you can watch as many films or content from these channel providers for an X amount of fees, depending on what service you choose. Was there anything that Yoga Anytime channel sort of picked (laughs) my interest there you're on your own there i'm afraid yeah um but yeah there were there were definitely a couple um of uh movie ones so arrow video for example they do a lot of cult classic sort of features um and so it's it's a chance to watch those that they're often films that aren't on the streaming services because there's less of a demand for them say there's less of an audience yeah Uh, but as as a fan of those kind of things, it's I think that's a good thing. Uh, there's also uh, Nordic Noir and Beyond. So if you like The Killing, The Bridge, things like that, mm-hmm. they, there is a specific channel with all those uh, series there for you. Yeah, and, and you can in fact tap on sports onto your Amazon Prime membership already as well. There's Eurosport on there. There's Yeah, as you said, Mike, there's lots of niche product on there. There's some large stuff on there. You can put a Discovery Channel onto your Amazon Prime. There's Shudder, which is uh, another horror service service there's loads of the stuff that i hadn't even seen until i pulled up the page for reference today but it's already happening for amazon so perhaps netflix feel threatened by the fact that you can bolt on these things onto uh, the, the amazon service already and they're just diversifying their business model so that they can anticipate maybe a, a shift in attitudes from audiences and consumers. So we'll see what that shall bring um, in the future. So that was our roundup of our news. As per usual, we'll be talking about festivals. Now, we won't talk about London Film Festival because that's going to be part of our main sort of bit. And we'll be unpacking films that we saw at London Film Festival. But we do have a few film festivals that we do want to talk about. We're on the road to the Oscars and they are not too far away six months away all the films that i reckon are going to be nominated for oscars are pretty much out there on the circuit at the moment i will almost 100 percent say that yeah i think mostly there's there's maybe one or two, two. that might get some nods uh one we'll be talking about later for example the mm. shape of water yeah possibly but the majority certainly are, yeah. are definitely out there yeah they're they're, they're, they're they're out there on the circuit or they've at least been shown 
to the public to some extent. And a, a couple of the film festivals now, the smaller ones that we're going to talk about, are showing some of those films and giving you that opportunity to see these films before commercial release off the circuit, which may not be for quite some time. So one that's only up the road from us, really, and I've been twice before, Okay, uh, is Bath Film Festival. They're very nice people. From what I understand, it's just one guy that did run it hmm. for a while, and then it's turned into this behemoth of a film festival. So there's going to be 124 films over eight days and a hell of a lot of films to cram in over such a short amount of time and more power to them because I believe it's such a very, very small-knit team. Uh, that delivers this in only like one or two venues in Bath because Bath is not a particularly big city, is it, Mike? No, it is. It is quite a small one, and and I think it's something that it's very good to do these kind of things because although you know we were able to get down to London, that's just not possible for everyone, no. uh, whether logistically expenses, you know, things like that. So to have uh, access to these smaller release or or more sort of awards uh, worthy films that you might not otherwise see is a good thing because it's, it's getting films out to people again it is yeah and they have a little bit of a tie-up with uh, imdb of all people a very nice person to have on your side i'm sure uh, the imdb run their awards there uh, at the at the bar film festival and include uh, an imdb new filmmaker who gets a, a, a best short film uh, award and they get nominated to a prize and i'm sure that they'll get fast-tracked within the industry somewhere something very much not about the money but about the contacts and everything else that comes thereafter yeah, it's all about who you know and etc exactly and i believe Col needham the um owner of imdb he turns up to give up give the prize so once again a very nice person to have as part of your film festival yeah and this is also where at the bar film festival where the f rating came from now are you aware of the f rating mike Uh, it's not something i've heard of no okay so the f rating is a rating that's given to films at this started all from the the bath film festival and it is a, it's a rating of whether a film is directed by a woman and or is written by a woman. Okay. And it also has to feature significant women on screen in their own right. And then that's called a triple F rating. So there's, there's, there's grades of F ratings for a film. Okay. Depending on how many Fs it acquires from the, the rating score. So, yeah, this was coined uh, by quite a young person, I believe. Holly Tarquini. Holly Tarquini. There we are, from Buff. She coined this uh, only a few years ago, and it's been adopted by IMDb. So if you go onto the ratings part of IMDb, you will find that the film may or may not have been F-rated. Okay, that's really good. So they're, they're trying to address representation there sure. as well, uh, both in front of the camera and behind it as well, which is an important one that often gets overlooked. And how many times do we reference imdb for ratings or further information it's brilliant the fact that such a a a large uh, information source on the internet has taken this to heart and so so yes the um f rating uh originated in bath uh, only a few years ago and it's already been adopted by the imdb and hence why probably they do their awards at bath film festival as well so it's quite it's quite a good little festival just looking at some of the the films that are being shown there over the next uh wonderstruck was on there which uh, i managed to see personal shopper which would have been nice to see on the big screen again i know it's gone to dvd and blu-ray and streaming services now as well there's a couple of films i really wanted to see that unfortunately either sold out or we just didn't get around to watching and uh, professor marston and the wonder woman 
was one that I really was keen on. I know you, you quite yeah. enjoyed this year's uh, delivery of Wonder Woman, um, the um, directed by Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins, yeah, um, and yeah, this is the uh, story of the creator of Wonder Woman um, and the the women in his life who fed into the creation of this uh, feminine superhero. Okay, um, and. I believe it's already had quite a good reception at some of the festivals it has played at. I was super keen to watch that one at some point. Florida Project's playing as well. Uh, Still plenty of time to get tickets for all of these if you're listening to this early enough. Bar Film Festival runs from the 2nd till the 12th of November. Uh, And I'm in between Bar Bahar, which is, um, I believe it's Iranian, uh, and it's about women in Iran and the liberation since with different regimes coming in and how they adapt to modern, I say Western society once again uh, and incorporate their own culture into that as well. I'm very, very keen to see that. Anything else that sort of grabs you? Um, Well, there was uh, the Florida project, which you mentioned, which I am really excited for. Uh, Ingrid Goes West is another one that uh, has been spoken about previously, but looks like a very entertaining film. Okay, I, I really want to see Hotel Salvation. It's sold out, unfortunately. Uh, and that did quite a big run at the British Film Institute on the South Bank in London. A debut from a very, very young Indian chap. Not your Bollywood typical fare at all. This is much more of a thoughtful representation of India and more of a drama. Uh, perhaps a, in, I'd liken it to something like Lunchbox, perhaps. Uh, if you've seen that, uh, you may get a better understanding of the type of film it may be. There's even an Agnes Varda film in there, I know. And once again, that is sold out because Agnes Varda and her documentaries are ever so popular. <laughs> um, so there's, there, there, looking at this programme, Mike, it's fantastic. It's yeah, like a mini London film festival just on our doorstep. There's so many just sort of flashing past that. It's just like, yeah, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. It's just amazing. So that's the Bar Film Festival. Once again, from the 2nd till the 12th of November, lots and lots of films to go and see there. Go and seek them out. Yeah, check out online if you are interested because there's there's plenty playing. Yeah. And and like we say, if, if you, like us, are fairly local, it's less of a trip yeah. than to London, say. Yeah, exactly. So that's filmbath.org.uk for more information on that. Final festival we're going to talk about, we're only going to talk about two today because we've got the third one being our main feature, is the AFI Fest. And now the AFI Fest usually showcases pretty much everything that will get nominated for Academy Awards in February. And one film that really kind of stands out to me that is perhaps prestigious, I hate using that term, but it is, it's I, Tonya, and that is the ice skating biopic played by Margot Robbie in the lead role. Yes, as as Tonya Harding, right. who um, you m- probably know something of the story. She is no, the... fill me in. I don't know. Okay, she is the figure skater who um, allegedly, or um, I'm not sure if allegedly is needed there, who uh, broke the ankle or was complicit in the breaking of the ankle of her rival for I think it was the Winter Olympics. Um, and so it's uh yeah it's a tale of mental instability and uh competition and it's just yeah it's it's quite a fascinating story that i'm not 100 percent familiar with but i have heard and so 
Uh, it's a sort of uh, a fictionalization of that, I believe, but largely based on the real story. So okay, and I, 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 all I've heard is very good things about Margot Robbie's portrayal of Tonya in the film, and which the, is not surprising given her sort of stellar work so far. Yeah, um, um, she's not been on the scene very long, but she has no, been doing good work. So. She, she has been doing excellent work, and I think people perhaps laughed her off as being in suicide squad as this sort of easy character commercial character harley quinn i think is quite a complex character if i'm honest with you uh, yeah i thought she brought some real humanity and pathos to what could have just been a slightly ridiculous character or just a sex object sex objects yeah which there's there's still elements of that in the film certainly sure. but she helps make her more than that yes she does i and, and you know that from being a fan of the comics yes as well, I'm, right? I'm a so, fan of the so comics you know the source material you know where harley quinn comes from so as, as a fan of the source material I, I guess you're a little bit more qualified to say the representation of that character but yeah i, I was very impressed with right. her interpretation of the character I, I thought she definitely did her justice okay well afi fest um the american film institute festival runs from the 9th of november to the 16th of november and opening it will be mudbound uh, d reese's uh, film about oppression race relations in the south after the second world war right and that actually netflix. goes on to netflix yeah, yeah it's a netflix original yep so i think pretty much like a day or two after the festival opens it will be available for stream but there's nothing like watching a film on the big screen and uh, i heard it it got very good plaudits at london film festival as well unfortunately i didn't get up at half past eight in the morning to the press <laughs> screening in time uh, i had more pressing things to do like sleep yeah, D. Reese's Mudbound is one I'm really looking forward to seeing on uh, streaming this month anyway. And then we've got loads of other things on there. This uh, Ridley Scott's got a new film called All the Money in the World. I hadn't heard of this. No, I'd, I'd heard nothing, which is unusual for a Ridley Scott project. <laughs> um, there's Call Me By Your Name in there as well, the Luca Guadagino film. Uh, the Disaster Artist from James Franco, who yeah, directed we, it as well. It's getting quite a lot of buzz uh, over the pond, Yeah, I know. Yep, uh, Hostiles in there as well. Uh, there are tons of films. This is the creme de la creme of uh, the American film landscape at the moment in there, but also I think the festival circuit as well, where you've got films from uh, Eric Romer, I can see. There's a few, few other films. Uh, there seems to be a retrospective going on there as well. It, it just looks brilliant. Um, so it's the 50th anniversary of the festival so they're bringing back a few legacy films as well would love to go should i have been able to have gone uh they are showing a lot of films that we have seen one film i do really want to see that's on the afi list is molly's game which stars jessica chastain and idris elba yeah which i mean those two are just not that this is all that matters but they are gorgeous people that i could quite happily just stare at they're also <laughs> both ridiculously talented actors who can hold the screen on their own so to see them together is quite an enticing prospect it is um and obviously at the pen this time is aaron sorkin i uh, will not at just the pen Oh, um, behind the, behind cam- the camera, camera. But behind the scenes this is his directorial the, the, debut oh wow okay so if you love the West Wing I think you're probably pretty much going to love this film as well aren't uh, you yeah West Wing Social Network did he do Steve Jobs as well yes, uh, yes. he did right and yeah. and so yeah any so many um, projects with just great writing just mm. great dialogue and, and he really has a knack for that so to see what he can do behind the camera is yep. quite uh again it's quite intriguing for myself so yeah that is the afi fest um we'll be back after these messages 
Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, stop, shut up, shut here. up, shut up, shut and up. And I wonder shut who up. the guy that can watch. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by yeah. Yeah. Of our friends there from the First Time Watchers podcast. Now, this week they spoke about... Uh, it was Eyes Without a Face or Les Yeux Sans oh. Visage. Your French is just as bad as their, <laughs> theirs, Mike. I've had to correct them so many times on... Denis Villeneuve. But yeah, it, it's quite a while since I did French GCSE, <laughs> so my pronunciation has definitely slipped. It's also one that, it's just quite fun to over-pronounce yeah, them, and so I definitely lean into it a little heavier than I should. Oh, bless them. Uh, yeah, so that's the three guys there, uh, Walter, Hermano, and Tim at the helm. Uh, I've just seen their schedule for this coming autumn-winter, and they've got some really interesting films in there, I have to say got obvious ones like justice league as well but they've got the secret of nim which is an animation from 1982 something that's completely bypassed me i wasn't even aware of it i thought it was nim's island which was a jodie foster um, <laughs> very different film from what i'm aware yeah it's very very strange but these guys what a variety i think this time give him credit where credit's due walter has chosen the list going into the end of uh winter on this one um and if you listen regularly you'll know that walter's tastes are slightly off the wall let's say oh. so yeah it's 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 quite a quite an intriguing concept i keep using that word i apologize it is uh walter is an enigma in himself but he, <laughs> he is also one of the three elements that makes uh, the first time watchers podcast compelling listening uh we're gonna do this as per usual the uk box office top 10 countdown and of course, this is where we will run down the latest films at the UK box office, which will be immediately out of date by the time tomorrow <laughs> rolls round. But hey, it gives us an idea of what's going on in the world. So we're going to have a quick glance over numbers one through to 10 on our little list. And we're going to discuss them as we go along. So uh, number 10 this week. Oh, I've got jingles for this as well. I always forget that. <laughs> number 10 is Alice's Adventure in Wonderland. Uh, and that was uh, event cinema. I'm not sure if this sort of thing goes on. I'm sure it does to an extent, but it goes on in the States. I'm, I've never seen it in the box office, but maybe we're more cultured than our American friends. I, I think that might be perhaps a tad unfair, <laughs> but um, we certainly have a smaller market, say, so it's maybe easier for things like this to crack the top 10 because uh, it was a Royal Opera House production. It, it, uh, well, it was a Royal Ballet production okay. held at a Royal Opera House ah. function or something or other. I saw part of it. It was a reinterpretation of Alice in Wonderland, basically. It looked crazy. I'm not into ballet, so I can't say much. But it was very popular from what I saw. But yeah, for me, it's it's one that with both uh, ballet and opera, I can appreciate them on a technical level. You know, the, the skill that it takes to do these things, I think is ridiculously impressive. But for me, it's not a great way to tell a story. <laughs> You know, that sort of you, you need you need to be quite versed in it often to follow, you know, to know that a certain move 
in the dance mm-hmm. is supposed to convey one thing as opposed to another emotion where to me they just look by and large the same so yeah i i, I never try i will never knock them on the the technical skill level but i'd rather just watch a film personally number nine and that would be the snowman i haven't seen this one it's gone around the internet as one of the worst films in the world. Mike, you've seen it. Give us your informed opinion. I saw it and I enjoyed it. I mean, I think uh, I think a large part of that is uh, Michael Fassbender. I could watch that man read the phone book and probably get something out of it. So he just is just a magnetic screen presence. And just, yeah, I, I found him quite captivating. Um, the story has some some faults, definitely. Um, it's It's not perfect. Uh, the mystery is a little bit uh, off, maybe not quite what you'd expect. It's, it's changed from the Yonesbo source material, which I think did it better. Uh, Val Kilmer is just bizarre. I sat there for the first five minutes of him being on screen, genuinely trying to figure out if they'd redubbed his voice or if that was just how he spoke. Because he just had, someone told me he'd just come back from cancer recovery. Okay. Uh, perhaps cancer of the esophagus yeah. or something. And, and so they had to, they lost his his, Voice. his vocals. That would make sense because it just doesn't quite line up with, with and when his And the director was... The, uh, Thomas Alfredson. Who's so, done some brilliant things. Uh, let the right, right one, one in. in. Uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. And someone of his calibre to turn this out and a large majority it, it, yeah you critically seem to be, critically you seem to be the only person that's defending it at the moment right critically it's not been that well received certainly and unfairly i think a lot of people are now questioning michael fassbender's film choices as well and whether he can recover from several flops on the go which i think is a load of clickbait if i'm honest with you but it it's doing the rounds it's generating interest he, you know he had assassin's creed which as, i liked personally i liked assassin's creed as well plenty of faults in it uh, but I could see there was an interesting and good film in there, and largely because of Michael Fassbender in the lead role. Yeah, and he's had a couple of other films which haven't done particularly well this year. Covenant was probably the other one that perhaps could have done better than it should have done. Yeah, I, it's, it's that one. Should've. I have mixed feelings on that film. Okay, so. Michael Fassbender, I think you'll be fine. Just hook up with Steve <laughs> McQueen again. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he's got a couple of projects in his you know back pocket. Somewhere. No doubt. Number eight. It's the Kingsman Golden Circle. I will not go and see this based on what I've heard. I did not like the bum notes. I've said this before at the end of the first one. Mike, you've told me they doubled down on this. Other people have told me the same thing. You saw it. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one. The The moment at the end didn't uh, strike me as the way it struck other people. But in this sequel, I did notice there's a, there's just a sort of casual misogyny that's just really not on. And, and doesn't need to be there uh, as well as other flaws in the film that just yeah for me it's not really worth a it's certainly not a cinema trip number seven it's the death of stalin this has done incredibly well it's surpassed expectations it's from the director armando iannucci and he is famous for doing veep in the states uh yeah and the thick of it and the thick of it over, over in the here. UK. Uh, he's a well-known satirist. Uh, he started off on radio. Uh, I've followed his work quite closely. I haven't seen The Death of Stalin yet, purely because I've been incredibly busy for the mm-hmm. last week, but I'm going tomorrow to go and watch it. In its first week, it's cracked the top ten. It's done number seven. It's not even gone to that many screens. It's only gone to 136 cinemas across the UK. And considering you know you can have upwards of 600 
I think it's done brilliantly to get where it is. I know it's opening to other wider cinemas uh, in its second week of release, and I think it's going to do equally as well. I'm chomping at the bit to go and see it at some point, and I we we do in fact have a little little clip for us to to listen oh, to. Nice. So if I put this in context, so Stalin is a dictator. For those of you who didn't study history, I wasn't allowed to study history past the age of fifteen, so I can empathise with you. And Stalin has requested a concerto, and it wasn't recorded. Um, so it's up to the director, who is played by Paddy Considine, to try and recreate uh, this performance to an extent, and. The pianist is played by Olga Kurylenko, Kurylenko. who was in a few films. Mainly, uh, she's known as being in one of the Bond films. I and uh, Hitman and in Hit- the the, the Timothy Oliphant, not the Agent Forty Seven, but the oh, first sorry, one, the first she first was, Hitman. She was in that, right? And uh, so this is uh, the director going mad trying to uh, recreate this performance of which Stalin and you don't want to mess with Stalin. They haven't recorded it, basically, and they're in a lot, a lot of trouble. You, Joan of Arc, you want to get killed? Oh, like my father got killed, my brother, like that? Yeah, but they would want you to live. I won't do it. You can't force me. You just get another penis. That would be ridiculous. The sound would be completely different. I mean, even Stalin. Even? I didn't mean... Even Stalin? I hope this office isn't bugged. Of course, Comrade Stalin would be able to tell the difference. He's the great man with the, the great ear. Two great ears. Sharp. 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 Sharpest ears in the... In, in the Soviet Union. Maria Venomanovna, you have to play. I didn't... I didn't mean what I said. So you said it then? As God is my witness, I won't do it. The Lord will see me through. Ten thousand rubles. Twenty thousand. Oh. Done. And that was a, a rather chaotic clip there uh, from The Death of Stalin. Really looking forward to watching it. Mike, are you going to go and try and see it this week at some point? Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm working the weekend, so I will be seeing it as soon as I can next week. Brilliant. Um, so that was uh, to number seven. Number six. My Little Pony. Skinny and bony. <laughs> as the playground rhyme yeah. once went. Uh, number six there. Uh, 501 locations it's a school midterm break for everyone at the moment kids are loving it as far as i can see lots of people bronies i was gonna say it's not one that just plays the kids no bronies uh, should we explain bronies you could explain bronies a little bit i don't want to, to tarnish myself by explaining um this. it's uh adult male fans of uh the my little pony animated series so those uh adult men at the back of your my little pony screenings <laughs> Are probably there because yeah that they are actual genuine fans of the material. Uh, quite a stellar voice cast on this one, but seeing as I've not seen it and you've not seen it, we're not the demographic. We're not going to talk any more about it. <laughs> Number five. It is Happy Death Day, uh, described as Groundhog Day meets Scream, along with many other things. Remarkably, a PG thirteen in the, in in America. Mike's pulling a face at me. Mike's pulling a face. Yeah, at no, me. I can't believe that. Is it? I'd like, I've only seen the trailer, but even going off of that, it's, it's not something I would ever have guessed. Yeah, well, there we go. And once again, it goes back to this whole thing where the states view violence in a different way that, that we do, especially knife violence, um, and view sex in a different manner as well. So PG-13 in the States is a 15 over in the UK. Probably affected quite a lot of its take. It has this teenage appeal to it. I'm not overly that bothered about it. I've seen Scream. I've seen Groundhog Day, both excellent films in their own rights. 
I don't really want to see the two of them mashed up and something. It looked intriguing, though. It's it's one I I do want to watch, just possibly not a cinema visit. Okay, but the one that everyone wants to watch at the moment... Number four! ...is Geostorm. Mm. And this is causing quite a hurricane online, whereby everyone wants to go and see Gerard Butler fight the weather. (laughs) I mean, why would you not? And I thought, you know, after all this terrible... These, these terrible hurricanes and typhoons and whatever else we've been had. Certainly the, the, the people over in Cuba at the moment and... and uh, a, a lot of the sort of American islands. Yeah, they wouldn't want to watch a film about a storm, especially a storm that's been weaponized by the government. <laughs> Plot spoiler. It will play to the action audience. There's not an awful lot of action films out there, especially for your turn-your-head-off sort of crowd. It's so bad, it's good. It's been, it's been said. I don't really subscribe to that particularly, but there we go. Would you go and see it, Mike? Again, it's it's not one I'm that fussed about. If if it was put in front of me for free, I'm sure I could watch and enjoy <laughs> in some in some aspect. But it's not one I'm I'm keen to seek out myself. You'd have to make the same offer with a crate of beer as well for <laughs> for myself to go and see that one. Number three. Now on some top ten lists, this is number one at the box office. Uh, so once again, surpassing expectations of the general public in the sense that in the states, this has tumbled quite rapidly out of well at the bottom of the top 10 and it's doing very well for uk audiences it's very strange why uk audiences are so in tune with the blade runner franchise now and then american audiences when i thought it perhaps it would be the other way around especially as it's not british set or anything no i mean obviously the original was was helmed by a brit but with that uh sort of film noir aesthetic and vibe that it has that in that in itself is more american than than a british thing so yeah it's i'm not sure why but i i'm glad that it is oh so am i um 100 i i'm sorry at the bfi oh we, we haven't spoken listeners since <laughs> i saw it i saw it at the bfi imax it's the biggest imax screen in the uk it's three stories high pretty much and uh i saw it in 3d i don't go in for 3d films at all ever on this occasion, I had no choice. It was the only time that it was showing, and they only have one screen in that particular cinema. I was taken to another dimension. I was, I was, <laughs> I had a religious experience in that cinema. I it just changed my mind on. It restored my faith in going to 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 see uh, sequels. Sequels for me, by and large, do not always land. We can go through the obvious exceptions. Let's, yeah. you know, Godfather Part Two, etc. Um, but, but especially ones that are coming out so much later than the, original. the originals. Yeah. And there's been quite a, a dearth of, of decent ones recently. Yeah, absolutely. And it did everything right. It did everything that I hoped it did. Uh, I spoke online today about the, the CGI involved and particularly Rachel's portrayal on screen and how remarkably realistic that was. In fact, I thought that it was another actress that they'd somehow managed to digitally alter well they, or... they, they they did do that to an extent but i believe it was sean young <laughs> it was that realistic yeah. i was like where did they get this footage from how did they but they recrafted her completely um someone pointed out that some of her dialogue is off screen um so you don't see the lips moving as yeah. much and i think that's potentially a sticking point at the moment with cgi recreations we've seen mm. 
not very good examples in the Star Wars franchise where With Princess Leia, Princess and Leia, some general, uh, yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin. There we go. I take your word for it. I remember that because I just didn't like it. Um, <laughs> but some of the recreations in Blade Runner, the setting, I genuinely felt transported to another world, and that world building is definitely up there in my top two <laughs> of, of world building ever. The other one actually surprisingly the first divergent film i think is a masterpiece in world building i really do i think it does i think it does what it needs to do very very well um but that's another story blade runner is there uh in our list at number three this week 2049 it's third week and it's taking a shed load of money in the uk it's probably out of the imax screens and you'll find out why in a few step moments time uh, but if you can see it on a large screen, big sound, and I think it's actually warranting s- repeated viewings. Some people are going back to the cinema to watch this for a second time, which is obviously generating more money. I mean, I can definitely understand that wanting to get more out of it. It is one of those very dense, very layered films that I do think bears repeat viewing. Number two. The Lego Ninjago movie. This one's not doing as well as uh, people predicted it to do. On the basis of how how good lego batman was i enjoyed lego batman i think lego batman's more of a with batman himself being more Mm. of a known quantity okay it's Uh, an established property okay but the lego movie when it first came out was not an established quantity and the fact that it was it was a a set of toys that people loved that wasn't predicted to do very well though was it it That, that one was the it's it's what i think has skewed these numbers to go higher in that there weren't very high expectations for lego movie people thought it was a shameless cash-in and then it turned out to be one of the best animated films of that year and in my opinion of recent years yes um, yes and and so it, it sort of it's it's made people expect more than i think perhaps uh, the lego ninjago movie is delivering yeah i'm I, I don't watch an awful lot of children's films but or children child orientated films but I, I own the Lego movie. <laughs> I, I think it works well on several levels. Uh, it teaches lessons to both adults and children. Um, I, I enjoy Lego myself as a 35-year-old man. I, I have Lego around the house and I do find it uh, a bit therapeutic to make things and be creative. And I love that idea of Lego is a creative thing. It works the mind. It, you know, it's like the Rubik's Cube, but a bit more advanced where you can do things with it. And then the first film sort of really fed into that. Yeah, it's it did. The, the creativity of it. I think the reason that Ninjago, as you said, is it's an unknown quantity. It's a very niche part of the Lego world it's a certain product line that involves ninjas and yeah has japanese and influence there's and... some sort of i think there's a tv program of it oh, as so, well okay. that's possibly on netflix but it, it definitely skews slightly more towards kids i think than either the original lego movie or lego batman does number one top of the charts it's taken tons of money already it's the new Thor film. It's the third film in the Thor franchise. Oh, I managed to get that out. <laughs> Tongue twister. And the umpteenth film in the Marvel ongoing it's cinematic universe. 17th, Michael. Keep okay, up. well done. Keep up. And this time it's Ragnarok. Yep. And directed by T- Taika. Taika Waititi. T-T. I mean, you got that one down. Who's a New Zealand director. He's done films such as uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. And Boy as well. Ah, which I haven't seen. Yes. That's, that's the only one of his I haven't seen yet. Um, and we both thoroughly enjoyed Hunt for the Wilder People. Very quirky New Zealand comedy starring Sam Neill. And it is about a young boy who is put into foster care. 
and then goes on the run uh, uh, with his with his foster father yeah who, a reluctant foster father um, shall i say and, and yeah they they head off into the wilderness and it's it's brilliant it's it's joyful it's like you say it's got that slightly I think all of Taika's films have this slightly offbeat Kiwi sense of humour. Yes. I, I love the Kiwi national sense of humour. It's it's quite weird. It it's slightly left field, mm-hmm. but it really works for me. Yeah. It, it, and and how does how did that translate for you into Thor Ragnarok? I, I thought you could you could feel his presence within it. It, it well, he was in it. Uh, well, yeah, which I didn't realise at the time. Oh, we won't spoil um, it. But um, it, yeah, he. He has managed to get his fingerprints all over this, in my opinion. It's it may follow some of the same tropes and the structure, the narrative structures that you expect from a Marvel film. As a big fan, I'm slightly predisposed to liking these films, so I don't really pick up on that kind of stuff. I I tend to just go along for the ride. So where in other films I might notice some of these formulas. I don't in Marvel. It just, it, they entirely take me. So I, I didn't sort of notice it in this, but I have read that others have. Um, and you'll be listening to me to say uh, that I found it, it's cookie cutter Marvel. Uh, Kevin Feig, who is the head of the studio, yeah. has a very, very clear idea of where the character arc, well, not the character arcs, but where the story, basic story lies. It's clear beginning, middle, end clear boundaries as to where you can go with these things but what you do in between those boundaries is completely up to you and Taika Waititi in this film as you said has put his fingerprints all over the plasticine he's modeled and (laughs) crafted this into something quite offbeat bizarre tonal there's some tonal shifts in this film which you don't really expect for especially for a Marvel film and considering before this Thor film they were quite serious and Thor was this character who took himself very seriously as well didn't he I mean there were the odd moments here or there but... yeah I mean the the first Thor film it sort of uses the fish out of water aspect mm. to get the sort of comedy the second one is fairly light on the comedy I would say and is is more serious uh, this one is it's just bizarre but brilliant and some of the subsidiary characters, and there's a little star one in there that I'd quite happily watch a, a spin-off of. <laughs> um, and, and some great cameos, which I wasn't expecting either. Yeah. I, I, I won't say who no, or, or no, no, what, because no, that would spoil, but yeah, some, some names you might not expect to pop up, and or some faces. Fa- maybe some familiar faces as oh, well. Oh, definitely. Um, so that was Thor Ragnarok at the top of the charts there and i think it's going to be there for the foreseeable future and, and that is the reason why you can't watch blade runner <laughs> on an imax screen is because everyone is watching that on the larger screens um we are going to go and talk about and now it's time for our main feature film so this is where we're going to unpack our suitcases this is my seventh or eighth time at the film festival mike this was your first experience how did you find it i absolutely loved it yeah i, I popped my cherry with this one if you'll <laughs> pardon the rather crude uh phrasing but i yeah i it, it's one that i i came back from my day at the festival just gushing to everyone i know about how much i enjoyed it and and how it it felt quite electric and exciting to be involved in something like this. Right. And uh, a bit like a school trip, I guess, field trip for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, day out at the uh, 
theme park and Mike's come back and told everyone how great it is. You should yeah. all definitely visit. Day release for, for one of the inmates. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, the, the films I saw were good, but even beyond that, just seeing some of the same people uh industry people at, at various sort of screenings uh yourself and i just started chatting to someone sat next to us mm. during one of the when we were waiting for one of the screenings that yep. i'm generally quite a reserved um person so to just sort of have that interaction with a stranger was just quite interesting yeah and uh you'll find that at film festivals you can strike up a uh, conversation with the general public in press screenings i think it's uh a different <laughs> i'm sure yeah, everyone's very guarded uh i went to quite a few of the press screenings uh, which unfortunately mike was not privy to but even when queuing mike we uh we we hobnobbed with the stars to an extent i guess yeah we saw um anya taylor joy in the queue for the shape of water yeah and i believe the other person who we didn't recognize at the time was olivia cook yeah we can't can't 100 percent confirm that because we didn't clock her but it would make sense um and and it's one where i i loved her work in the witch um we were going to see a new film with her thoroughbreds that night right. and olivia cook as well yep. um and so i was i was quite torn between uh going up and and speaking to her and then also just letting her enjoy right. her time off yeah it didn't feel like it didn't look like anyone had clocked them so i so, thought yeah, it was probably left best them their privacy exactly but in terms of the festival itself and attending mike how did you sort of did it what did it live up to how you thought the the, the you know going between venues and yeah i think so it was there was um one that was a, a bit of a mad dash um, my fault, my where fault. yeah some some miscommunication let's say uh, over where the venue was <laughs> uh, led to me sort of uh standing around for a little bit uh and then having to run pell-mell uh to the cinema and arriving just as the uh logos for the production companies were rolling on the screen and i knocked someone's uh, drink over on my way down <laughs> the aisle and yeah uh, but but it was very exciting and the majority of the ones I was at were, were quite close by. So it was nice little walks between the venues um, with sort of enough time to relax, write some of my thoughts down and, and think about sort of what I would thought of the film mm. and then on to the next one. But it was still quite a crammed schedule that just made it quite, it made it again, it made it quite exciting. It made it invigorating that sure. I was sort of dashing from film to film. I can still hear it in your voice. You're quite, you know, <laughs> excited by yeah. the whole thing. Do you want to tell everyone what which films you saw, actually? Uh, uh, so, yeah, I saw uh, With Your Good Self the <laughs> and uh, Lee Brady from uh, Big Pick Reviews and the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. No, no longer Big Pick Reviews, I'm afraid. Oh, uh, yeah, no, of course, you're right. Um, lack yeah. of internet yeah, I've, I've that's everything. how we're gonna blame it on um yeah from both from the atlantic uh, sc podcast uh but so yes we we watched the shape of water then i went and watched a film called gemini okay and uh brawl in cell block 99 which is one i am very excited to talk about as well yeah. uh, and then yourself and i again we re-met up and watched thoroughbreds in the oh, evening we did indeed we're going to discuss a few of these um in a moment we did have some audio that we did promise that we were going to deliver to you i've listened back to it it's pretty much unusable so <laughs> apologies to everyone involved on that one but, you can hear the music of the burger bar better than you can hear us yes um and i'm sure as good as david bowie was singing in the background <laughs> no one really wants to listen to it on this podcast and um, we'll talk about the shape of water um which is the uh latest film from guillermo del toro yeah and it stars sally hawkin and richard harris yeah, uh, uh, no, Richard Jenkins. Done that before, um, yes. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon, wow. Yes. Um, and Doug Jones. And 
Octavia Spencer. Yes, uh, all of whom are amazing. Uh, they're absolutely brilliant. The, the world-class cast, aren't they, yeah. um, in, in themselves? Shall we give a little bit of a summary of the of the plot without spoiling it? Yeah, okay. It's, uh, the, it mainly follows the story of a woman who is a cleaner at mm-hmm. a government facility, and she stumbles across uh, a new acquisition of the sort of military... Uh, wing of the sort of secret base where she works at mm. uh, and uh, starts to develop a friendship a relationship with said creature okay and i believe the the unique fact about sally hawkins who plays the lead in this is that she's uh, mute she is a mute character so yeah she she yes. cannot talk she she signs um but she is unable to use her voice so uh makes the performance all the more impressive yeah. uh, where it is such a physical and expressive performance just through her face by and large um that's not to say that she's deaf no no she she interacts with people yeah. uh, like i say she signs um but but just that she is unable to talk if you think about how much we use uh speech as 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 a sort method of, of communication method of communication as, as a we way are of doing now yes. yeah or, or as a way of co- uh, conveying your feelings yeah uh, that she manages to to do it without just yeah is a testament to her skill and talent as an actor. Sure, and uh, um, all the more so in this film and the way that she, her character develops, uh, going through what she encounters. Um, it's almost uh, very, very similar to uh, if someone is blind, their their hearing becomes inc- incredibly acute, and in this in this case where she is unable to speak. Uh, her communication of her physical communication with other people has become so acute that she can convey what she wants to say not just through sign language but just through subtle looks looks and and just interpreting what someone's saying to her uh, without actually listening to the words that are coming out of their mouth now she has a platonic friend uh, that she lives with uh who lives next door um oh okay but they they have a a very close relationship they they sort of they seem to be each other's sort of um bastion of support and right and they um uh she works at the government facility he is a advertiser um or was formerly in advertising it's it's slightly unclear but they are both marginalized characters they are without giving too much away but they they are both people who are perhaps looked down upon or dismissed in the society of the time where it's it's set in the sort of 50s 60s it, i think it's it was, 60s yeah I, I wasn't quite sure it wasn't 100 percent nailed down but i think it's although there's not really any reference to octavia spencer which i think would give, be the giveaway okay for, yeah in a post-civil rights that makes uh, sense that would probably give you a better there was i know i didn't think there was any of uh, any racial abuse towards her character at all uh, there was I, some sort of slur there was yeah dis- discrimination that sadly seems to be sort of the the path of the course even post a uh, civil rights sort of world um okay um but yeah, around sort of like the sixties, I think it, I think it's safe to say, and it is fantasy, sci-fi, romance. I would say that I like the way that Del Toro makes films for adults that ha- have this very much a family feel to it. it. Has this almost childlike element where we're going back to stories once again that we were told as children, where we have parables or we have uh, fairy tales, fairy tales, and and all the rest of it, but. 
it, he doesn't make concessions for the fact that these are sexual characters. Uh, you know, they have they have desires and wants and loves, um, and they need to be fulfilled. Um, he doesn't make concessions for the language they use either, or, or violence, or the when violence it when it's, it's needed. And so you get a very much an uncensored fairy tale, which is brilliant. It, it, it immediately pulls at what attracts me to Del Toro's work is the fact that. I'm getting what I had as a child, but I'm not having all the the edges rounded off. I'm getting the the full whack, you know, as an adult, because now I can understand that a bit better. Uh, Well, yeah, it's it's one where I think that there has to be a reason that stories like Cinderella, Mm -hmm. like the sort of the the fairy tales, the classic, uh, like, say, parables and stuff, that they are still around in this day and age, speaks to some universal element of truth to them that he manages. don't, Don't lose your shoe. (laughs) <laughs> but that del toro sort of manages to to bring in that that they are about being human okay um and and he brings that to his films in in quite a wonderful way i think he does yes and the shape of water is chock full of very clever plot devices um there are very clever elements to it that mirror some of the societal things that were going on at the time some of the societal things that are going on now he uses devices such as the muteness of the lead character in imaginative ways, uh, all linked back to water. And you can read this immediately. There are some deliberate shots where you think, why is he Why is he shooting at this? And then it becomes apparent in the next moment why we were looking at that. Or you may he gives you time to think in these films yeah. and maybe marinate on it a little bit and go, oh yeah, that's what he was trying to tell me. Or maybe he wasn't. But I love the way that he doesn't, hold your hand too much uh, going into it he very much lets the film play out it's a remarkable film it's beautifully shot um has a very much a feel of some of the hellboy films going on there there's obviously the lead character in the facility reminded us of a few characters from previous films that we've seen yeah it's it's again played by uh doug jones who plays abe sapien in the hellboy films of of which this character is reminiscent but he also reminded me of some of the work uh that doug jones has done previously with guillermo del toro Mm. with pan's labyrinth and it's it's again this is a character that he doesn't talk he doesn't speak in a human way let's say um and so it's a it's again a very impressive physical performance and i mean that is by and large what doug jones is known for um he was uh the fawn i think in pan's labyrinth he was also the creepy hands eyeballs in the hands man and in, in from, pan's labyrinth, from pan's labyrinth. Yeah. and he's he's done a number he, of of yeah. great monsters throughout sort of and his acting in film this. and tv history and yeah his acting in this is exemplary yeah and it's almost seamless because uh, there's very little cgi going on in terms of the stuff around it i know del toro prefers practical effects as much as he can there's there's the element of cgi on there but yeah very much a a practical effect on the lead character in this and that lends a sort of uh tactical sort of nature to him that you you feel like you could reach out and reach through the screen and touch him. And and he, he seems like a real, not person, but like a real being mm. uh, where CG can often not. Yeah, you can lose that element of it, can't you, uh, with too much CG, especially when you watch films like Independence Day nowadays on TV. <laughs> uh, looks awful, uh, I have to say. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to talk about in terms of The Shape of Water, Mike? Uh, well, it's something I really appreciated was there's a deep love of 
classic cinema and uh, musicals specifically. Uh, there's a a brilliant Busby Berkeley esque musical number that the film sort of goes into out of nowhere, but that entirely fitted within the narrative and within the structure of the film for me, that by that point, I was so utterly enchanted by it that I was just willing to go wherever it wanted to take me. And and it, it works for the character. It's a quite uh, expressive sort of moment of where she does perhaps struggle to express herself in, in the sort of more traditional ways. This gives her a chance to sort of shout out or sing to the rooftops how she is feeling and and it just really worked for me in that regard cool um so that was the shape of water i believe that it comes out in the uk next year yeah february or march february or march you it is playing at i believe the bar film festival so you can go and see it and i'm sure there's other film festivals in the interim period so will have a very limited showing of it i we we kind of both give you the thumbs up <laughs> to Try and get your backsides down there. Yeah, if you get the chance, go out and see this film early because you won't regret it. No, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't actually get to watch it a second time at the festival when I had the opportunity to. But I didn't want to spoil the fact that I'd seen it before (laughs) um, you guys had come down to see it. So, yeah, so that is The Shape of Water. Definitely one to put on your lists uh, for next year already. Another film that I really wanted to talk about was The Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. This is released in the beginning of... November in the UK on the 2nd of November. It's playing um, in the States. I believe it's got a a bit of a later release date. It stars Annette Benning in the lead role. And this is all based on a real life story of an actress who, during the golden age of Hollywood, was taken into a family home in Liverpool, Mm -hmm. of all places. And Liverpool, UK, unless there's a Liverpool somewhere in perhaps... There the probably is. is. Yeah. Um, so Liverpool in the UK. And I have to say Liverpool and Hollywood, although they do go together nowadays, probably when this is set in the 80s, probably didn't back then. I know a lot of films are filmed in Liverpool now where they change the signage and everything else because it's cheaper to shoot there. <laughs> back then, Liverpool was a very strange place to, for a Hollywood actor to find himself in. So Gloria is now an ageing Hollywood star and in the 80s she fell in love with a guy called Peter who is an aspiring young actor on the scene jobbing here and there and Jamie uh, Jamie Bell plays Peter and um, Gloria's taken ill one night and so Peter takes her to stay at his family home where his mum Bella who's played by Julie Walters um, dotes on her and we've got a wee clip from that particular scene. Ma, what? can you help me get Gloria into something warm, please? What? Why? Because we're going out. Out? Yeah. Out where? Well, I can't tell you, can I? will ruin the surprise. Don't be daft, it's what? cold out there. She needs to be in here where Ma, it's, it's just warm. just a couple of hours. No, it's a stupid idea. Mum! No, no, that's final. No. Bella, I love you, but, you know, I like surprises. Are you sure? Because I think it's going to rain. Yeah, I'll try. <sighs> and I think I've got some spare thermal somewhere. There you heard, of course, the inimitable Julie Walters there doing her brilliant thing there of uh, being the matriarch with a heart. I, I love Julie Walters in some of the stuff that I've seen, uh, all the way from educating Rita to, to now. What, what she, she, she just always puts in a good shift in whatever I've seen her in. So this film directed by Paul McGuigan, as you heard, three of the stars there. It also has Stephen Graham, who is a familiar face to many of us uh, who watch British films, 
often horrible, intimidating character in all of his films. Yeah, if you've seen uh, This Is England, he plays the antagonist of that film. Okay, and uh, he is pretty mean in that film as well. I actually saw two films at London Film Festival which had Stephen Graham in. One of them where he played up to his um, stereotype and in this film he had a wig on with a scouse accent (laughs) and a little moustache which is a staple of anyone who lived in liverpool in the 80s that was the height of fashion um it was quite disarming to see him in such a such a position so this is based on uh, a book of the same name uh, by peter turner who did turn up at the q a with annette benning uh after uh, the screening that i went to so i saw a Q&A about the life and times of Annette Benning after this particular performance in another venue. And it was really enlightening. I, I admire Annette Benning's body of work. Um, I love her work on uh, American Beauty, for example, where she plays the wife, the wife and mother, mother of Thora Birch's character. Birch's character. Just brilliant all-American hello, I'm waving, you know, trying to keep everything together. But behind the scenes, there's an awful lot going on there yeah. as well. Um, she's She's got a great body of work and I, I just found the Q&A with her. Just, she's, a, she's a great raconteur as well. I love Q&As with good, good um, orators, unlike myself. <laughs> um, so this is set in 81 and uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool. Uh, it made me tear up in the end. I, I do like a really good love story. Um, this goes in lots of different directions and it sets its stall out towards the beginning. I don't want to tarnish this at all, but I, I do think if if you're not a real romantic fan, go and see this. I think it would change your mind on romantic films. It's very British and I love that about it. It's beautifully captured. Uh, you have that Hollywood glamour there as well that Annette Benning obviously brings. brings but it's also on the screen as well and there's some really imaginative sort of almost stage-like moments where characters are in Liverpool in one moment they'll open the door and then they're in Malibu the mm. next wow. and the way that that is captured as well is just a, a marvel to watch so this is once again the story of Gloria Graham she's a real Hollywood yeah. star from of the ages there, and I believe the BFI is doing a retrospective of her work perhaps on the back of this as well and the other thing that's quite interesting about their relationship that i haven't mentioned between peter and gloria is the age gap i mean peter's only in his very early 20s and gloria as i said is you know struggling to find work as an aging hollywood star and that is pertinent to the story i, I wouldn't normally bring it up if it, if it there was no relevance but there's quite a significant age gap there where gloria is actually almost if not older than peter's mum but the family accept it and it's just a fantastic way to bring that love story to life well i think it's it's quite an important one in that you don't often see on the screen an age gap going that way with those genders that way whereas the you know how often we see an older man with a younger woman Mm. it's it's almost par for the course um there's there's some disgusting tales uh about say uh, maggie gyllenhaal being told that she was too old to be jeff bridges love interest in a film which if you think of the age gap that they already have but yeah she she was told that um and so it's refreshing to see it skewed the other way i think Definitely, definitely. Because there are plenty of relationships that, that happen like that. Well, this is a real story. Um, and, and it did yeah, happen. Exactly. Um, so I I, I I just love the fact that it, it did that. And um, we're going to, we are unfortunately going to see quite a prominent film coming up by Louis C.K. where that is now 
a thing where an older man goes out with a very young girl. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, you may have seen the trailer for it already. The young girl is Chloe Grace Moretz, and the older man is. Are you going to guess on this one, Mike? Um, I, I have no idea. Um, he was in Connor. Nicholas Cage? No, John Malkovich? It is John Malkovich. Oh, wow. John Malkovich going out with Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm, that instantly makes me uncomfortable. You should see the trailer, pal. Okay, so moving on. Um, Funny Cow was the other film that I really, really wanted to talk about. I've had some real nice feedback from the writer, Tony Pitts, someone who you wouldn't really picture as writing this particular film. He's got this sort of gruff, um, northern sort of work-like man about him. He's in Peaky Blinders as well, I believe. And it's all framed through a stand-up routine. So Maxine Peake is in the lead role. She is the funny cow, and she uh, is never given a name, actually, which I think is very, very telling in itself. It's set... In the 70s, and it's the rise of a stand-up comedian, and particularly a woman stand-up comedian, uh, in a time where women weren't perhaps accepted uh, on in terms of um, you know being in working men's clubs. It's a very laddish sort of attitude: drink beer, smoke smoke cigarettes. I mean, even the name yeah. "working men's clubs" clubs yeah. sort of in, indicates the the sort of the gender divide mm, there. Mm. And I have to say, this is the, probably the strongest performance I saw in all the films that I saw at the festival. Maxine Peake, uh, some funny cow, is just brilliant. She has to do so many different faces throughout this film. She she is subjected to some of the worst abuse possible, imaginable. And yet she then comes out with this painted smile. And you often see that, that this pathos between the lines when you have comedians delivering their tall tales or, you know, I did this the other day or I had the conversation with so-and-so the other day and you know that there's a amount of embellishment in, in their stand-up routine just for a laugh and you can see why perhaps in between those lines why they're, they're trying to get this laugh across. There's, there's obviously a sadness behind that. And it is a story of a stand-up comedian but it, it's more about her life. It's almost told in flashback through, through this stand-up routine. It's very, very smart. I implore everyone to go and add that one to their watch list. Funny Cow, I'm not sure when it's out in the UK. I think they touted it as May next year in the UK. Wow. Yeah, quite some distance away. But I I just can't speak highly enough for this film. It's probably one of my favourites. Definitely up there with Shape of Water for something that really made me think, and I'm still thinking about it now, actually, many weeks afterwards. Um, and that is uh, by Adrian Shergold. So that's uh, Funny Cow. Uh, there's a review up on filmseekers.com as well, which I almost forgot to mention, which I, I believe you were, you'd seen, Mike, hadn't you? At some uh, yeah, I, I did read your review uh, while you were while you were there in London. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one that that and, and hearing you talk about the film has, has really put it on my radar now. Okay. Um, also, Maxine Peake is just a tremendous talent. So She is brilliant. She is um, just like... I would say she's like the modern day Claire Skinner or and a mix between her and um and perhaps um Jane Horrocks as well. Um uh, very similar looking actually yeah. as well but but just in terms of raw talent uh, Maxine Peake just brilliant blew me out of the water. Speaking of water, we've done the shape of water. <laughs> Journeyman involves water as well. It also involves Tony Pitts who wrote Funny Cow. He plays a ringman uh, of sorts uh what do they call them uh, the cut man is cut what they man them. cut man part of the team that look after a star boxer and the star boxer in this case is paddy constein who's written directed and starred <laughs> in the lead role of his second film the first being tyrannosaur and that had such a huge impact for a debut film an incredibly 
strong performance there from uh, Olivia Coleman. Coleman and also Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen and the uh, there was a theme of abuse that runs through the entire film. If you, I, I would imagine, if you if you'd experienced similar things, it's probably ill-advised that you perhaps uh, watch something like that. It may, you know, trigger things. Uh, yeah, uh, again, because your, it's it's quite it's, a realistic and, and well, I, I wouldn't know how realist, realistic no, it is, but um, I would say it's incredibly it's, violent and, and, and it, it goes to extremes that we perhaps are not accustomed to seeing on the screen. I like the fact that it's not gratuitous, by the way, either. I like the fact that Paddy doesn't shy away from the fact that these things do happen and uh, it's not glossed over. We've seen glossed over portrayals of uh, domestic abuse, particularly in um, Legend, which was the story of the Cray Cray twins, where the the worst abuse was actually seen off screen, which then led us to think different things about the central character. But anyway, yes, so that's Tyrannosaur, Paddy Considine's uh, first film. You should definitely try and find that one. But... Journeyman is the story of a boxer who suffers brain damage. And this is not something that we, this is not new to us at all, is it, Mike? I mean, you talk about uh, Nigel Benn, Michael Watson, famous British boxers who have subsequently suffered brain damage because of the fact they've been battered around the head several times because, you know, these blows, they, they don't just you know disappear as soon no, as the fight's ended. They, they have a lasting effect. Exactly. Uh, Muhammad Ali is another one yeah. who, who uh, you could see a, a physical expression of, of what he had gone through. Sure, sure, sure. And so this film involves um, Paddy as this boxer called Matty Burton, and he's going up for this big fight against a quite a younger lad, actually. And the, uh, you know how they do it at these press conferences. They they give it all that. They give it the <laughs> mouth. And it gets quite heated. Yeah. And it's all for show, really, just so you get more money on the pay-per-view figures and everything else. And then so stuff happens. And he suffers this incredible moment where just everything is lost. Yeah. No one wants to know him. And he goes from there. Um, once again, I don't want to give away too much yeah. of it, but it, Jodie Whittaker plays his wife in this film, and I have to say that we say that plays his wife. We don't say plays a husband very often, or or anything like that. But Jodie Whittaker's role in this is central to understanding Matty Burton, the boxer's life. She plays, I would say, not the main role, but she is the second largest role within yeah. this film, and without her strength in this particular film i i don't think it would have worked at all um you will see jodie whittaker in a few weeks time as the uh, new doctor yeah in doctor who for international it's an international thing that uh, was uh, i yeah. think it has gone yeah, yeah yeah so yeah that was journeyman uh and it uh there was a q a afterwards actually with the entire cast which was quite nice because this was the world premiere which i attended at london and paddy considine has definitely come out and said this is not a pacifist film he's not condemning boxing as a sport he's not saying you know don't do boxing you'll you'll end up with brain damage or long-term memory loss he is saying i adore the boxing world he loves boxing yeah it is he has quite a history with it he's he's grown up in the the boxing clubs of his hometown i Mm. know having heard interviews with him and it is something he still has a clear passion for yeah definitely and he he, he's very adamant of the fact that actually I'm trying to be faithful to the fact that I adore this sport. I just wanted to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be doing the boxing world a disservice to ignore stories. You know, you can't just cherry pick which, which stories you like just so you have that underdog Rocky sort of element. It's you have to show the whole gamut. You have to run the whole gamut and 
this seems to be attempting to do that. So that is Journeyman, and that will be out via Film 4, I believe. It's a Film 4 production. It will be out sometime in 2018. Once again, one to put onto your watch list. Now, Michael, you saw Brawl in Cell Block 99. Yes, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, The... I, I will prefix this by saying uh, my review for it is is up on the Film Seekers website. It's probably a lot more articulate and uh, well put together than I will do now, but I will attempt my best. People want to hear the voice of Michael Ross. Um, it's it's one that uh, it was introduced. The screening was introduced by the writer and director S. Craig Zala and the star Vince Vaughn, which was quite exciting for Did me. Did he have all his hair? Uh, he had grown his hair back, yes. But it, it's one where it, it gave me an appreciation of, he's a big guy. Is it? Like, you, I, I hadn't sort of realised, and the film plays that well sure. of, you normally see him as quite genial. Um, mm. And so he'd bulked up for, a, uh, bulked up for it. He'd, he'd shaved his head and had a t- big tattoo on the back of his head. And he, he made quite an intimidating presence, um, certainly in the film. And even just seeing him in the flesh, you can <laughs> you can see how Craig, how S. Craig Zala would have thought, oh, I could make this work. Because, right. yeah, he's, he's, he's quite a large man and it's sure. just sort of... Yeah, it was just sort of slightly strange. Um, and then there was a Q&A after the feature with the writer and director, uh, which was just quite fascinating, again, to hear his insights on the film. Um, for example, uh, Vince Vaughn's character. It's a, He is a former boxer who uh, turns to drug running to try and support his family, which is about to grow as his wife is, uh, as they say, in the family way, right. um, i.e. pregnant. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, he, he loses a job. It's, it's you know, set in the modern world with the sort of hard economic times that we, we are going through, in some places at least. Um, and so he, he reluctantly turns to drug running. Something goes wrong on a deal and he ends up serving a prison sentence. Right, um, and so it's one where, yeah, the S. Craig Zala, the writer-director, said he was inspired by a number of films like Death Wish, like Rambo, and that he felt there weren't really any badass characters in the same way as those films that he had grown up on, so he wanted to write one. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, arguably, he he has definitely done that. Um, it's uh, It's going to be one of my top ten films of the year. Okay. I enjoyed it that much. Right. It's this great hard-boiled dialogue that seemed very throwback that it reminded me of sort of noir films um where he's the the character's got a quip, he's got a line for for everything that's thrown at him regardless of whether he's being punched in the face or tortured or or going through emotional turmoil. He's still got a quip, he's still got a line um which was just quite refreshing and played off of Vince Vaughn's charisma for that. Um then, like I say, he he's a very intimidating presence just throughout the film. Uh, there's a scene quite early on where he uh, takes apart a car in a rage. He just starts oh, smashing into I've this seen car, this clip. yeah. And it's it's brilliant. It's quite brutal, but it it just it gives you what you need to know about this character, so that when later on he is he is violent because it is a very violent film. Mm. It makes sense. Um, the the moments of violence were quite shocking um quite graphic and it was quite funny to watch it in a packed screen 
to hear some of the the groans and the gasps and the audible winces of the audience um and then a few twisted people like myself uh chuckling at it because it's it i don't know why but it's one where gore does not fuss me in the slightest i can watch it i can laugh at it i can enjoy it yet i can't watch a show with genuine surgery in it in the way that i know a lot of people do watch you know shows set in a and e's and and things like that that turns my stomach but when i know it's fake i enjoy it so uh, yeah i don't quite know what that says about me but um that that was something that really really worked for me from this film that the violence is it is shocking when it's done but it's also well handled it's it's practical effects again that really sort of make it feel real okay and so that's Brawl in Cell Block 99. It got a release last weekend in the UK. It's yep. out there in the world it's on a very, very limited release, yes, I believe. Yes, it's, it's one you might have to Dig try hard to, to seek out, but right. it is worth it, especially if you are a fan of genre film mm-hmm. or of his first film, uh, which is Bone Tomahawk. Yes, yes. So, so Brawl in Cell Block 99, that's, that's the one definitely I need to catch up on. I saw Bone Tomahawk a few years ago. Call Me By Your Name. Now, what do you know about this one, Mike? Uh, I know is the Luca Guadagno uh, film about a uh, young boy. Yes. Or not that young a boy, because there's some issues around that. But yes. a, a young man who uh, is on a holiday or studying abroad and who meets an older man. Again, not that big a difference, but it, it's part of the story. And it's about uh, awakening. Uh, it, sort it of is. a coming of age, but with a sexual element to it. it. it is. There it, is a relationship that starts up between the two men. That's exactly right. So this is uh, set in 1983, Northern Italy. And uh, uh, the, the father of this boy that we've talked uh, about, his parents are scholars, and they invite someone over every year to stay with them in their summer getaway uh, to, to, to for a learning holiday, essentially. Yeah. And in this case, it is a scholar from the States, played by Army Hammer. And um, the character is called Oliver and he, um, yeah, falls for the son of the family who's 17 years old in in the film. He does look an awful lot younger, called Elio. And this is a clip uh, from the film where they are meeting the next day after having a a deep sleep after his first night in the chalet. Uh, Look at this. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. From the dead. Was I out that long? It seemed like it. How, how are you? I, uh, well, rested now. Thank oh, you. Glad. Would you like some espresso? I would love some. Thank you very much. This looks amazing. Thank you. I didn't take your seat, did I? Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. Please. Did you, did you recover from your trip? Uh, I did. Yeah, big time. Thank you. Okay. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, is, there a, is there a bank in town? I'd love to start an account while I'm here. Oh. Oh, I'm a massive family issue. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> None of our residents has ever had a local bank account. Really? Mm. Mm. Should I take them to Montaudier? I think they're closed for summer vacation. You try uh, uh, Crema. Crema? Grazie. Is this your orchard? These are Anello's trees. Oh, wow. Pesca, ciliegie, albicocche. Mm. Pomegranate, mm. melograno. Mm. And there are some fruit-based uh, fun that's, <laughs> that's had later on in this film, which I 
will not tell you any more about not to spoil the surprise, but I tell you what, it puts uh, Jim from American Pie's antics to shame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the relationship, mainly because I misheard or I didn't understand the age of the boys of the, the boy who, who Army Hammer falls in love with. I thought he was significantly younger. He yeah. has no body hair. He has no chest hair. He has no physical attributes that you would perhaps associate with a 17 year old he very much looks a lot younger and that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable in the sense that i maybe thought he was grooming or 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 something else Uh, there's nothing to do obviously with uh, the sexuality or anything at all at all but like you say you misunderstood the age no i I did misunderstand and 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 i think that you know it's the the younger the person is the more significant an age gap becomes so you know the difference between a, a 17 year old and a 15-year-old is only two years, but it's very important, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I, you, you I think grow up a lot. You do, and I think this was perhaps even deliberate baiting by Luca to cast such someone who looks so who young. Looks so, so young. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe I didn't go into this with the best mindset. I, I really enjoyed the film. I have to state that. I, I love the film. I just didn't go into the best mindset and perhaps the best preparation because um, I'd recently watched Lolita, and that was sort of lingering in my head where we have this... Um, age gap significant within a, a, a love story inappropriate relationship, an, an inappropriate perhaps. relationship but the the age gap in lolita is much wider and lolita is meant to be a 13 year old girl in the novel but in the film i think she was a tiny bit older but not significant enough it was pedophilia essentially yeah. uh going on whereas this is not and i didn't want to confuse the two things so but the fact that he looked very young just put me a little bit uneasy. but once i kind of got my head around the age that they were supposed to be i found i found it beautiful it's someone falling in love it's just summer romance you know your typical summer romance but told in such a beautiful and unusual way there's no black and white yeah. going on there's there's lots of gray and luca and it's based on the novel so it plays with the source quite well it's not completely faithful i believe to the source novel there's a couple of things that are slightly pared down you do not see full frontal needle tea, uh, but you certainly see a lot of peaches in this film <laughs> and, and not just the kind that you consume. Yeah. I, I really loved it. And the end credit scene, I stayed till the end of. And that's all I'll say. If you go and see this film, if you're not in the end credit scene uh, mirroring what's on screen, I I think you have a heart of stone. <laughs> it's, it's a remarkable end credit scene. I have to say it goes on. It goes on yeah. and on and on. Um, I'll watch out for that when I get my chance to yeah, see it. Then. Yeah, I would definitely watch that. That's coming out in the UK this weekend. So that will be the weekend of the 2nd of November. November. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, out in the rest of the world, I believe, on limited release as well. So certainly in the States anyway, but not getting a full release just quite yet. Uh, so that is Call Me By Your Name. So. Uh, we've got time for one more film to talk about, Mike. So do you want to talk about Gemini? So, yeah, I will talk about Gemini, which is the other film mm. I saw on my own at London Film Festival. Uh, again, this was a sold out screening. Um, so very, very packed screening. And I think it played quite well to the audience. It is uh, L.A. set neo-noir is about a uh, Hollywood starlet and her personal assistant and the complicated, complex relationship that they have. Uh, specifically when a murder occurs and the assistant tasks herself to try and solve the sort of the suspicious circumstances around this. Okay. Um, 
It opens with an inverted shot of the sort of famous road in Hollywood where all the star tours are done. So, you know, you've got the... the Hollywood Boulevard? Yeah, Sunset I, I, Boulevard? I think it's, it's Sunset Boulevard, I think, where there's the sort of the palm trees lining yeah, the sides and Boulevard. all the mansions. Yeah. And yeah, it, it sort of, it opens with this inverted shot of that that I think is quite telling of the film is a slightly inverted look at Hollywood. It's, it's a peek behind the curtains mm. that you might not otherwise get. Okay. Um, it passes the Bechdel test, which is a uh, test about uh the representation of women in films it is that to boil it down is two named characters who are both women need to have a conversation together that is not about a man Mm -hmm. and if it if your film has that it passes the bechdel test uh this film passes within the first like five minutes i wonder if you'll get an f rating um i at least on the i don't know how much it was made by women okay um, but certainly the the involvement of the women. involvement and the the starring the 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 characters mm. themselves um, feel real and like genuine women. It's set in the present day, and it very it it did very well to Im- sort of integrate the modern media, mm-hmm. so Facebook, Instagram, things like okay. that, which I think is quite vital. Yeah, in a sort of like yeah, in in, in any know. sort of modern yeah. set film, you you can't if you ignore that, it just it seems like laziness or yeah, yeah, or a lack of ability. Mm. Um, I, if I have to be honest, mm. it's the ending. It has quite a clever sort of twist towards the end, but the actual ending itself, I found slightly underwhelming. Right. It's it's something that can happen with noirs quite often. That the the so journey just sort of petered out. Yeah, the journey of of the mystery is better than the destination of, okay. of solving it, and and so that's a shame. But it's it's still definitely worth a, a look. It has a in a zodiac maybe sort of way similar. Yeah. Okay. Um, it has a, a very diverse cast. Right. Again, where that. It's not the the point. It's it's not. It doesn't seem like it's trying to sort of Zoe make a message. Zoe Kravitz is one of the leads. Uh, John Cho okay. is a, is another. There are other Asian and people of color within it. And again, none of the time is it relevant to that, or or is it the defining aspect of their character? Sure. They just this is the world it this these are the people in the world kind of thing that i found very admirable um the the dialogue is very smart and cine literate they quote and reference films right. as young people of of today do yeah i think um, that's really important the fact that sometimes when we watch a film the director or the screenwriter will do everything to avoid referencing any them. kind of film where pop you know culture. certain things have like yeah like you say they've they've filtered down through pop culture mm. so they are a part of the vernacular of people yeah definitely um, and and so yeah i thought it did very well to address that okay so gemini is a sort of a one thumb up yeah it, it's definitely worth a watch like i say it's it's possibly an over familiarity with noir for, okay. for myself so i sort of although i didn't see what was going to come come right it, it still just left me slightly underwhelmed um where someone else might not have that same reaction and i believe that gemini gets its proper release some point in next year by the looks of it it's doing the festival circuit for the foreseeable future in the states you'll be able to see it multiple times this month and then it goes to a couple of other places 
And when it gets released, who knows? But I'm sure it's possibly something that it feels like it may go straight to streaming, to, streaming services. services. That, would, that wouldn't entirely surprise, no. Okay, so uh, that's Gemini, one to uh, look out for there. Definitely a recommendation from us. Now, Mike, we, we've got loads of more films to talk about. I wish we could, but we've been already had our knuckles wrapped about the <laughs> length of time of our podcast, so we're trying to keep it short and sweet. We'll, we will certainly revisit quite a few of these as long as they're fresh in our head. We're going to get our pens to paper and get some of these up on the website while they are still yeah. fresh in our head. Please visit the website, filmseekers.com. And by visiting the website, you may see this month's recommendations uh, for our Netflix viewers. So Netflix has released its list of films that are going to be showing on its streaming service in the coming month. And myself and Mike, as per usual, will have our recommendations for a couple of the larger platforms. Myself, go with Netflix UK. On there at the moment, they have an awful lot of original content. And I know they're pumping one8 billion dollars or whatever it is into original content next year but there is a documentary on there called one of us it's directed by heidi ewing and rachel grady and they did a documentary before this about a jesus camp but this time they've decided to follow three people young people leaving from the hasidic jewish community and the hasidic jewish community is a very tight-knit community as you it's can very probably, insular yeah you, you, you can imagine that they they are orthodox uh, jewish people as, as as the term is and they you have to have your hair in a certain way you cannot read certain things you certain things are against religion so for example they they show a textbook from one of the children and someone has gone with a marker pen and scribbled out all the faces of females within the book. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there, you're not allowed to look at images of girls or women um, at all in this mm. book. And one of the questions is, what is so-and-so plus so-and-so doing? But it's all scribbled out, and yet they got the answer right. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's very strange, but it is a very tight-knit community, but it's also a community that looks after each other uh, so if you have someone who is sick, everyone will rally around to try yeah. and help that person. If you're in financial difficulty, someone will also, everyone in the community will rally around to, to help it. But it is also a, a religion that looks to men, uh, the patriarchs. So your women don't have much agency at all. You're seen as, as the homemaker, the, the person there to, to give birth, to, to, to procreate. And under no circumstances are you ever allowed to leave your husband mm. for whatever reason it may be. And it, this story, this, sorry, this story, this documentary f follows three people going under incredible duress. And you would not believe some of the footage and the 911 calls that they have there and the actions of this community. It's almost like having people with pitchforks in your own community because yeah. this community... They have their own buses. They have their own ambulance service. They speak Yiddish largely. They barely speak any of the native language. They are their own enclave within another society. They just keep to themselves. Yeah. Whatever you know works for them and in, in their religion, fine, whatever. But the fact that these people are trapped within these and 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 you know not allowed to use the internet. This chap's talking about the first time he went on the internet and understood what Wikipedia was. Mm -hmm. You know he doesn't yeah. have access yeah, to these yeah. things. It's just remarkable. It's like another world. So anyway, that's uh, me rambling on. That's one of us, and that is on Netflix UK. You can um, stream that straight away now. Mike. Okay, yeah, and so my uh, recommendation, obviously tempered by the fact that, like I say, I haven't got internet, so it's it's been kind of hard. But um, I am aware there is something on uh, UK. Netflix 
Netflix. Uh, Netflix original called The Babysitter, which is directed... Is this based on the R.L. Stein book? <laughs> no, it is not. There were three of those. Yeah, I, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it is uh, directed by McGee, which I know is not oh. necessarily something that will fill myself or or others with confidence did you ever see charlie's angels Mm, yeah unfortunately um however uh it stars uh samara weaving uh bella thorne who is a former disney star and uh robbie amel or amel i'm not entirely sure but he is the cousin of the star of arrow and has done numerous tv shows as well um And the plot is a young boy is uh, rather attracted to his teenage babysitter. Uh, She, as at least in the films, uh, babysitters are wont to do, invites her friends over. Uh, But all is not as it seems. And it turns out they have some slightly sinister affiliations, plans and and, yeah, affiliations that I don't want to spoil too much. You you kind of get more from the trailer. But and yeah, the the young boy uh, witnesses something he shouldn't. And is then it's kind of him against the teenagers. Okay, Uh, so there's a Home Alone vibe to it. There's also quite a nice sort of um, 80s slasher aesthetic or sort of vibe even though it's it's set in present day mm-hmm. and yeah it, it looks quite amusing it's it horror comedy but yeah it, it's got me sort of intrigued at least and this is a movie right yeah it, it's a movie netflix original and and like i say is, is available to stream now okay and uh my recommendation on over on amazon prime is the jim carrey film in fact which is the number 23. Have you seen this one? Uh, no, it's not one I've ever got around to. I think you should definitely watch it. It's um, directed by Joel Schumacher, stars Virginia Madsen, and it is a psychological thriller. Um, and it's all about numbers. Number number 23 being you know, very important to the yeah. film, as you'd probably expect <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> it's something that really changed my views on Jim Carrey and how he can actually deliver something with much more heft than his rubber facing around uh, his comedic roles of the 90s which i grew up with you know the mask and yeah, the cable Ventura. guy and age and tour and all the rest of it the number 23 really sort of made me stand back and go oh hang on he's there's a bit more to jim carrey than meets the eye and even you know it's even more serious than the truman show yeah uh, which is once again another sort of a benchmark i think of, yeah, of yeah. his acting prowess so number 23 uh psychological thriller highly recommended on amazon prime uk and while i remember there is a Jim Carrey documentary just about to go on to Netflix this month with uh, what well, is called uh, Jim Carrey and, and Andy Kaufman. It's basically all the footage that Universal didn't allow us to see has now been released. And Jim Carrey acted out in a very oddball way um, uh, as Andy Kaufman uh, in a biopic called Man on the Moon. And Universal didn't want anyone seeing this backstage footage because Jim Carrey embodied Andy Kaufman on and off the screen. And he was uncontrollable throughout this period while he was acting on this film, Man on the Moon. So, yeah, look out for that one. If you want to look look at the rest of the recommendations for Netflix, please go on filmseekers.com. You can see our top five picks. Mike, your Amazon Prime... Li- no, nothing from you. Um, well, like, should I tell you what you should watch I on mean, Amazon yeah, Prime? I mean, yeah, I'd be welcome to. Right. I'm getting internet back tomorrow, so okay. I'll start queuing things up. Well, should I tell you, you should definitely see Lion at some okay. point. And uh, A Monster Calls. Jackie is on there as well. Silence, which is the Martin Scorsese film. And also Moonlight. 
Which, well, have you seen Moonlight, Mike? I, I saw in the cinemas. Okay, um, well, and, do you want to tee so, that one up? Yeah, it's, it's one I'm very keen to watch again because I, I found it a beautiful, moving experience. Um, is uh, directed by Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins, uh, yeah. Also co-written or he wrote the screenplay and it's, yeah. it's based off of a book. Um, and it concerns a young gay African-American in Miami at three stages of his life, mm-hmm. uh, childhood, adolescence and young adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it obviously was was the Oscar winner, the best picture. Wow. Yes, this it was year. eventually, yes. Um, yeah, but deservedly so, I think, because it was just unlike anything I'd seen, okay. I, I found. Um, it was very refreshing to sort of see that side of of a community we don't often get to see mm-hmm. but it was it was superbly acted with the the three leads who played the 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 main character also uh, Naomi Harris mm-hmm. i thought was absolutely great and uh, Mahasha Mahashala Ali there we go. um who won the uh, best supporting actor oscar okay. um for this performance and he's not he's not in the film much but he has quite he leaves a quite indelible mark on the, the main character, character. Mm. um and and sort of shapes the film in that way so you know it it was definitely deservedly so yes um moonlight the oscar winner for best film this year um talking of other oscar winners in fact la la land drops onto uh, netflix this month as well quite quickly after yeah. its uh, original release alongside hacksaw ridge which is another oscar nominee as well so if you didn't get around seeing them in the cinemas they're all there for you on streaming this month so plenty to see before christmas time when i'm sure you'll all be super super busy doing uh, your christmas shopping <laughs> just one thing to mention i know we haven't gone for a halloween themed podcast this time round, but uh, news of that in a second on the bbc iplayer uh, there are a series of fright shorts they're only five minutes long great way of seeing a filmmaking technique in such a short space of time they've all been scripted out of the bbc writers room which is an academy to upskill people and these are all northern irish writers five six minutes long they're all on the bbc iplayer just type in fright shorts and i'm sure it'll come up there's six of them in total uh, well worth your time you'll see the lots within half an hour <laughs> um so Definitely, definitely one to put onto your iPlayer watch list as well. Yeah, I, I shall certainly do that because they, they sound great. And that is the end of the show, Michael. It's sad times, <laughs> as always. You can contact us in the usual ways. Facebook.com forward slash filmseekers at filmseekers on Twitter. Spread the word. We put up reviews. We retweet stuff from other people. We have our own opinions on this sometimes. We retweeted something from Robbie Collin today. Um, saying not very nice things about Stranger Things, <laughs> uh, which I'm inclined to agree with. Which uh, I, I disagree with. Well, but... Okay, uh, but this is the beauty of it. Let's have a debate. Please get in contact with us on uh, Twitter and let us know your thoughts on, on the things that we retweet. We'll also put up articles as well, so please check us out on filmseekers.com. You can contact us. Hello at filmseekers.com. And we also have an Instagram. We put some photos on it occasionally, and that is filmseekers, or one word. Our music today was by Big Num as always and it's uh, from the album from Monkey Came Man from Man Came Me and that album is available from all good mp3 sites Mike you can break the news of our next podcast uh, yes so the the next podcast will be horror related uh, it may feature more than this but it will certainly feature the film Santa Sangre which is by Alejandro Hodorowsky uh, who is a 
brilliant visionary filmmaker that is is so well regarded in sort of critical circles uh, but i have i have never seen anything of his so okay. this will be inducting me into the world of alejandro hodorowsky which i hear is quite a strange world it's a very very strange world we'll uh, i'll have to give you a few of a few more of his films but we'll definitely be talking about santa sangre i think we may even touch on his a uh, couple of his recent films including endless poetry and uh, the dance of reality as well and we'll finish on our last line from uh, one of our favorite films between the two of us i'm sure yeah and it's from uh, silence of the Lambs from 1991. And this is where a Clarice Starling is being spoken to by the infamous Dr. Lecter. And he says, I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> This episode has ended, but your film journey doesn't have to. Head over to filmseekers.com where you'll find more reviews, ideas and news. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Why not connect with us and let us be part of your film-seeking adventure? 